Welcome to Broken Potholes. I'm your host, Sam Stone. My co-host, Chuck Warren, in the studio with us today, Mike Noble, OH Predictive. Thank you so much for having me. The preeminent pollster in the state of Arizona. He is a preeminent pollster, and also they do your polling results on ABC 15. Is that correct still? Uh, Correct. Yep. Uh, Well, ABC 15, I think last week, twice in New York Times, but there's Basically, the place we haven't How been published. You, let, let's start with this real quick. How do you like working with a local news station on polling? How is it different than a regular client? You know, it's interesting. When, when dealing with uh, local news, I found is that compared to maybe some of the national outlets, I've seen that, you know, they're, they're very more focused on local news centered, but also they're usually not trying to pick favorites as much. But I have noticed, I think, in the last few years, the trends, you know, like it or not, it's just the way it is, is that I'll put out something that say, you know, the numbers are what they are. However, you know, maybe good for the red team or Republicans, maybe good for the blue team, Democrats. However, when I put a one that's good for the blue team, you see a lot of the left-leaning outlets like Washington Post, New York Times, publish it. And again, it's great content, but then you see the folks on the right not doing it, then it can vice versa on the shoes on the other foot with a, another release. You'll see Newsmax and others publish it. And it's an interesting trend that I've seen, at least uh, the difference between local and national. People really only want the news that backs up their point of view. I mean, it, it, from the stations down to the viewers, that's what we're getting more and more of. Well, the election integrity issue is uh, example A of that right now, right? Um, it's you have there's some very valid points, but there's a lot of non-valid points, right? And, <laughs> and, and so therefore, we go and have this horrible, divisive situation that's not really focusing on issues. It's sort of how Democrats are focusing on Liz Cheney, but let's ignore the fact there's a dozen Democrat House members that think Hamas should be able to blow up Israel. <laughs> it is, it's right. interesting when you talk about the the numbers there is that especially when you're talking about the, the election election integrity because there's basically two themes that are going on one that there was rampant fraud and that the election was stolen from Trump and the other one was that hey there might have been some you know nothing is 100% perfect but again a difference between rampant fraud or, or and again an accurate election are, are two different things and then when you look at the uh, Arizona voters for example you'd see about only about 5% think you know the narrative that the election was stolen is the case. And then you only have about 20% of independents. But where it mainly drives from is about 54% of registered Republicans. So overall, uh, and then when talking about this issue, I see it as a kind of a brand issue for the GOP, because as they're furthering along this audit that I think we can all agree, partisan views aside, is that it is run very unprofessionally. And there's just a lot of red flags. I don't think it's a true audit in a sense in the team that's doing it is probably way over their, over their head but as that continues as a republican party as a brand i have seen in my polling that it's actually increased a little bit among republicans their the 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 theme that you know tr- the election was stolen and pushing now the independence either farther away but we see it across the country whether you're looking in nebraska or you're looking nationally it's roughly about half of registered republicans do believe that narrative which up until this point the judges everywhere else haven't seen definitively that again and deeply and deeply right there's no there's no fuzzy i sort of believe this it's either you're there or you're not right and that is and having that conversation with somebody well this is no different than having a conversation for the people for the 82 percent of democrats in 2000 thought the election was stolen or the 71 percent of democrats in 2016 who believed Trump stole the election. Now it's all reversed. And trying to talk to either party, whether it was Democrats, Republicans, explain 
it's not stolen, it's like talking to a wall. 100%. As a matter of fact, yeah. the wall is probably more receptive. Correct. Absolutely right. Uh, you're 100% spot on there, Chuck, because uh, when you look at uh, – I try to liken it and digest it because polling politics can be a little complicated for some folks. So how can you kind of translate it to something they get? Think of it as uh, your favorite team is in the Super Bowl against another team. They're down at halftime. They didn't think they had a chance to win, which was Trump's scenario. Thought it was going to get blown out. And he came back like Seabiscuit and got much closer uh, than thought. But again, just came fall short. It's like your team, you know, down at halftime, they're they're down. They start surging back. But guess what? They're down the one yard line and they forget to look at the clock. Game's over and you lo- and you lose by just that much. Right. And that's essentially what happened in this election. But at the end of the day, it is what it is. And you have another game or match that's going to be played on. And I think that's pretty much the scenario. But again, they just don't want to accept that. Again, in the elections we've had, we've had tons of elections since America's been founded. And think about it. How many has there been two winners? Right. Well, (laughs) one wins, one loses. But I I think, Mike, that goes a lot to the point you were talking about earlier about who distributes your polling when it possesses messaging that's strong for the left or strong for the right. We have never had elections before where people did not receive the same news. I mean, that is a really new phenomenon. Could you imagine sure. this happening in 1960 with Kennedy and Nixon? No. And for those of you illiterate on history, look that up sometime. That's that. I mean, literally, almost on a bipartisan basis, people believe that <laughs> Johnson stole that election for Kennedy. Yeah. I mean, and you well, had- in, in Texas, they're very certain of it and quite proud, <laughs> as a matter of fact. And, 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 and want to redo it, right? Yeah. There's oh, things no. they want to redo. When I was in Austin, the folks at, at KLBJ Radio were very clear that that had absolutely happened, and it was one of the proudest moments in Austin's history. Mike, let's, thanks for joining us today. Um, we're with Mike Noble, infamous poster here in Phoenix Metro and elsewhere, building his um, outreach to other Southwest states. Yeah. How did you get involved in this? Um, it's a it's an interesting business. Not only are you providing data, but you sort of become a mini celebrity in a lot of ways, right? You have to. Uh, I have essentially become what I never thought I or never aspired to be whatsoever, which was basically like an elected official is probably the best way to liken the type of uh, work and everything else is because I started out my career after graduating from Arizona State University, but I was from Wisconsin originally, but uh, I love Arizona and uh, Arizona State forks up. No pity for the kitty, as we say. <laughs> my wife, though, is a Arizona native, but also U of A, so she's uh, house divided. And, oh, wow. Yeah, fit, That's tough. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, fo- uh, folks, I've I got to cut him off because we're going to bear down and throw uh, this guy out of the <laughs> studio when we go to break here. Sam, I was really starting to like you there for a minute. <laughs> Uh, no, and so it, it's interesting. Starting is that so I came up, uh, worked in uh, politics, and uh, you know, was a like everybody, a lot of folks that started uh, uh, working on campaigns, managing races, running Senate races and, and congressional races, and so you're doing all the groundwork until you can do the job to promote yourself out of it. And I became a full-blown general consultant, which I thought is the, it, well is the top of the mountain in, in campaigns. However, what happened was is that I did it for three, four years, and it was fine. It just it wasn't really for me because again, it takes a special person, I think, a very unique, and, and again, it just didn't fit me. And for, I saw in the public opinion space, my issue was with polling, it was that I felt like the, a lot of people would hand numbers to them, but they weren't really crossing the divide from, okay, here's this uh, uh, polling for this decision maker, consultant, et cetera. But again, how uh, applying that and, and kind of crossing that bridge from data to reality because okay the data says this but there's also a lot of context that comes along with it and so that was really for you know tailoring data to decision makers but also 
putting uh, data readily out there because Arizona basically doesn't have a uh, you know a top notch uh, public opinion and full blown research company. They basically have to use out of staters, and I truly believe Arizona is you know the state's barely 100 years old. It's very much the wild west. Uh, I like to liken it to, and it's a it's a great place for opportunity. But for us Arizonans, I think that we deserve not only a top notch. Uh, polling company, but I think a you know nationally top notch. You know, if Gallup can come out of New Mexico, guess what? I have a strong suspicion that you know we as Arizonans can show folks that again how to do things. Well, Arizona might be the most interesting state in the union for the next decade or more when it comes to politics because. It's entirely possible the next few presidential elections will all be decided right here. It's truly a wild card state, and Arizonans like to take on the persona that I'm this maverick, I'm this Mm -hmm. rebel, I may have a cause, I may not. I mean, for example, go to Scottsdale, one of the wealthiest zip codes Mm -hmm. in the country, and they're still selling that cowboy crap all the time. And there's no one in Scottsdale, (laughs) there's no one in Scottsdale except some 20-something women who wear cowboy boots and skirts at the bars on the weekend who is actually a cowboy, right? I mean, that disappeared like 40 years ago, right? But we we have a segment of our population like we're cowboys. You're not there's nothing to cowboy about you. But let me tell you, Chuck, if you can throw if you can throw your Stetson down, put your boots up on the chair next to you, and drop the keys to the Mercedes on the bar, you're gonna do really well tonight in Scottsdale. Mike, we want to talk more, and we'll get in this next segment, just about what attitudes are changing, how Utah's mm. really not, I mean, not Utah, sorry, Arizona's not as blue as people think, especially on some very fundamental issues. But what, how, as you poll, you're obviously talking to human beings, right? Yeah. Have, have they become, I hope so. Have they become, have they become <laughs> angrier? You know, it's interesting. So there's a couple of things that happen. One is that uh, typically when you have, you know, you know, you're trying to sample your population, typically, let's say you have a list of, uh, you're starting to sample, for example, registered voters, right? Okay, I want to go get this population. Well, best way to start, you get the voter rolls from the state of Arizona. Because again, are you a voter or not? Because there can be, hey, are you a voter? Yes. And actually, they've never registered. They, they thought they did. And they don't want to admit they're not a voter. Right. Correct. Right? So, correct. So you have those two nuances. So what are ways around it? Make sure you have the right audience. So, okay, I have my target universe. And then you go and take that list and you randomize it, which is key because by randomizing, again, you give everyone an equal chance to participate in the survey. And so when you go and do that and then you double verify by when calling them is that, hey, are you registered to vote? Are you right. are you say you are? And that's the case. You're able to double verify like, yes, I have my person. And if you do that uh, correctly, uh, you're, you're great. But also, I would say that uh, the, the issues is that you have some uh, people losing uh, trust whether they're in some of the institutions. And so they're opting out of not taking it. So you have we're having to do more innovative net methods of more archaic methods, actually, of like direct mail and other type of things, even door to door canvassing to be able to get to those hard to reach populations because you're not able to get to a certain segment that maybe has a big distrust in public opinion polling, ultimately you can see issues. And right now, like Pew Research, public opinion uh, like response rates uh, of polling are at an all-time low. It's like 4 or 5% yes. of folks that, hey, you want to take a survey to have your input where many of these major decisions are made, and they're like, nope, don't have time or not answering. And so, again, there are some challenges there. But Have you found... Um, those of the Democrat persuasion or liberal are more apt to respond than conservatives because conservatives are just so distrustful now of media? 100%. So essentially what we've seen is that, so when you look at 
you know, especially this year, we had a hundred year pandemic. I don't know about you. I wasn't around a hundred years ago. So new, new for me. And so with this hundred year pandemic and then all of us working remotely. So you have all these folks now working from home. They also have a lot of time, but they're also not getting that social interaction they usually had. So again, you're sitting there. Oh my gosh, a person you may talk to them a lot more than you would have. And we saw response rates really increase among folks on the left who were really, I guess, seeing red, for lack of a better term, when Trump. So, hey, do you want to take a survey? Heck yeah, I do. And, uh, you know, and, and then on the reverse side, the conservatives, they would say, you know, it's BS. Mike, we got to cut you off real quick. We're going to break. When we come right back, Broken Potholes, Mike Noble, OH Predictive Insights in the studio. Broken Potholes coming back. It's the new year and time for a new you. You've thought about running for political office, but don't know where to start. Before you start any planning, you need to secure your name online with a yourname.vote web domain. This means your constituents will know they are learning about the real you when they surf the web. Secure your domain from GoDaddy.com today. Welcome back to Broken Potholes with your hosts, Sam Stone and Chuck Warren in the studio with us today. Mike Noble, OH Predictive, and of course, coming up, the sunshine moment with the irrepressible Kylie Kipper. She always grimaces when I call her that, but I'm going to keep doing it. Does she know what the word means? But we can talk about that later. All right, let's go. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Mike, one of the things we're hearing a lot out there is that people are not being honest with pollsters. I've heard you say that's not actually the case, that it's just becoming more and more difficult to get a representative sampling. But I do think there's a lot of Republicans in particular, a lot of conservatives who are really afraid to tell anybody the truth about what they believe in. I mean, their best friends, they're afraid to tell their best friends, much less a stranger who's calling them on the phone. That's a good point. And we saw that, uh, you know, and they said the data didn't really uh, say the lying aspect. I think what it was is, again, non-response rate. Again, people opting out of taking polls. So it just it makes it more difficult on our end. Uh, but also we just have to adapt to, again, we just have to maybe call through more, but also be able to cut off once we have, you know, so many of, let's say, liberal Democrats that have, answered you know being able to cut that off a little bit to again get more to balance out the sample uh but when basically we're looking at the the polling right now is that you know like i, I can't speak for others but this past election i was five for five perfect record can't speak for folks in like florida for example however uh you know us here in arizona we absolutely crushed it and again it, it's a different uh, uh there's a lot of proliferation i think there's a lot of polling that was put out there that basically probably wasn't up to standard. However, it made for a really good headline. And so media ran with it and ultimately put a, put a little bit of a black eye on the industry as a whole. However, I think it comes down to trust into it. And again, you know, we don't share anyone that uh, responds to the survey. It's completely confidential. I have no idea. Uh, the folks, I never even bothered to look or anything like that. It, again, they're essentially numbers on a spreadsheet. Again, we're looking at demographic and other information. So it's just, again, I think it's more the uh, again, uh, their reputation, I think uh, you don't let a few bad apples. You just got to control yourself and let your record prove it and build that trust. I mean, you've had a really good record the last couple elections here in Arizona. There are another, there are other firms that have really good records, but they tend to be focused, I think, more on their local areas. It's tough because you're right, because when you're going and polling uh, different states, and we see it with out-of-state pollsters, they'll come in and let's say a big outfit like NBC News and whoever they partner with come in and poll Arizona. And the thing is, though, for the vast majority, there's just a lot of nuances to 
a given state of, you know, whether, you know, the size of your, how you're breaking out your demographic regions to your size and your sampling and turnout trends, everything else. There's just a lot of context because when you're looking at previous elections, where the numbers are moving and why, what's driving higher turnout? Was it the candidate on the ballot or why did someone underperform? Was it actually because of lower vote turnout or did the candidate really mess up a month before election day and ultimately tanked his vote? So there's just a lot of context that goes into it. And I think the better you know, not just the data itself, uh, but also, you know, just ask Nate Silver, if it was just based off the data, he would have been perfect each time. But I think his track record hasn't been too great. No, let's talk about COVID. Um, every yeah. state's been highly affected by it. Um, it seemed, Sam and I have talked about this on the show. The partisan divide has really showed up on COVID. I can yeah. tell you what someone, 999 times out of 1,000, where they are politically based on their response to COVID. And you have one side, we will call them the left, and they are simply, I have to have a 100% guarantee. We're all going to die. And then you have the Republicans. They're all SOBs. I don't trust any of them. This is the flu, right? And right. then, and then I think you have probably you and I and Sam is um, no. This is not the worst pandemic that's hit the world. Yes, this is right. this is a little worse than the flu. Yes. Be precaution, but we should keep things open and get moving on with life. Yeah, if, right? if you see someone driving, and we're and, and, we're, and we're a unique minority, right? <laughs> I mean, we're a unique minority, right. right? And that's what's weird about it. So, have you has that come across a point? What have, is that? Is that a fair uh, description of what I've given the landscape of of the partisan divide on COVID? Hundred percent, yeah. Because it was actually one of the key insights from the last election, and we actually one of the few that uh, right when uh, COVID made landfall here in April, and we actually started. Uh, tracking it then and one of the questions was hey do you think things are going to get better or worse when it comes to the spread of covid because the uniqueness about covid it was not so much the deadliness of it was really about how rapidly it spreads transmissibility yeah the transmissibility and so it was interesting when, when doing it is that uh when we're seeing it on tv and you know italy with the opera guy going and you know then uh, in new york is that uh, levels are really low concern levels all across the board however right, once it made landfall in arizona you saw it skyrocket up on all ends the thing is though as we tracked it month over month is that what you saw is that COVID absolutely turned into a political football. You had eight out of 10 Democrats saying extremely or moderately concerned about it compared to Republicans, only about 25% of them compared to independents, right about near the middle between the two, about 60%. And it's through the, the time, because you saw COVID, there would be spikes of it and then it come down. With Republicans, their concern would go up when we're hitting the big wave, like, oh, I don't like this ride. And they'd come over the hill and they'd be like, oh, we're good. And they'd revert back to where they were. But Democrats through the entirety stayed at 80%, no matter what happened or changed, an independence call in the middle. But we saw for the first time, actually, in our most recent polling, Democrats actually dropped to the low 60s for the first time. But the thing is, what's unique is for an issue, COVID is like the honey badger. It does not care about your political party, your, your uh, ethnicity, income, whatever. Uh, COVID don't care. And But however, when you look at uh, the parties, it's clear as day. It absolutely got turned into a political football. And that's what we're seeing in this hyper partisan politics is that ultimately it's affecting economic numbers. It's affecting, again, opinions on something that all of us should be on the same board on. Uh, so, again, it's some of the interesting well, things. It, it is. It's I mean, a perfect example of the division, especially how it's represented in national media. Mm -hmm. Think about what's happening with the colonial pipeline. Right. Mm -hmm. And if Donald Trump had been on TV yesterday oh. and said, it came from Russia, but we know it's not the Russian government. 
He would have been lit on fire and burned to the ground. Horrible. Before he got off the TV. And I'm not even dismissing that they know it came from there. You know, let's give the benefit of the doubt. But I don't think any of us believe that the Russian government didn't know this was happening. Um, But if Donald Trump had done that, they would lit things up. So now you have Republicans yelling about Democrats like, no, 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 no. But if it had been reversed, Republicans have been defending Trump for saying it. Mm -hmm. And Democrats saying, told you they bought him. He's a puppet. You know, and so how do we go? And we'll go into this in the next segment because we're going to take a quick commercial break here, Mike. But when you come back, let's discuss what what is there we can bridge on? What is there a bridge we can go and well communicate with each other on? You, you know, I think, Chuck, real quick, I, I think one of the things that we touched on, the difference in the news people see. And I really think one of the reasons that Republicans spiked and dipped with the spikes and dip in COVID is Democrats live in, frankly, live in more of a bubble than Republicans. If you're a conservative, you can't help but get hit with the left-leaning news because it's your local newspaper. It's your local TV stations. It's not just whether you're watching Fox or CNN. So you can't help but learn what they're seeing on the left. But if you're on the left and you're not tuning into explicitly conservative media, you never hear that counterpoint. Well, I I think, and we'll dive deeper into it, I think basically what uh, ultimately I think the issue is, think of these companies. They're all for profit companies. They have stakeholders. They're supposed have, to make money. Well, correct. And so we're seeing a stronger and stronger correlation now. It's something I've been focusing more of my research efforts on is like, you know, asking people where they get their news sources from. So we see a huge disparity like with Senator Sinema and Kelly, both Democrats. However, you see that uh, with Mark Kelly, based on that minimum wage vote they did recently, that there was an issue that, uh, again, uh, Fox News folks liked, uh, had less yeah. of opinion uh, compared to MSNBC, right. CNN. And this message to stay home, sponsored by Amazon.com and our multiple delivery (laughs) services for everything you need. Broken Potholes will be coming right back in a moment. It's the new year and time for the new you. You've thought about running for political office but don't know where to start. Before you start any planning, you need to secure your name online with a yourname.vote web domain. This means your constituents will know they are learning about the real you when they surf the web. Secure your domain from GoDaddy.com today. The other night, dear, as I lay sleeping. Well, folks, it's been a while, but the sunshine moment is back. Bring in some good news. Never hear that on talk radio. Not too Never often. hear that on the, pretty much don't get that anywhere on the internet these days. No. no. And here we have Kylie Kipper with the sunshine moment. Well, luckily for everyone that's listening, Rob Kenny is on the internet. He has his own YouTube channel. And who he is, is he is a man that has a YouTube channel called Dad, How Do I? And he basically teaches... Um, his dad left him when he was 14 years old, him and his seven siblings, and he teaches everyone how to do basic life skills. So how to change a tire, how to tie your tie, how to do everything that he wishes his dad would have taught him. Um, and so he started this in April of 2020. So I'm assuming from COVID, he found some free time and decided that he was just going to see what happens. Now he has millions of YouTube followers and um, 5 million views on each video. He's writing a book. I believe it's released May 18th. And... I just love this message because, you know, you teach a man to fish and you feed him for life. Oh, 
Oh, my goodness. She just throws it out there, doesn't she? Wait. <laughs> Everybody's feeling zen in the studio today. <laughs> wait, wait a minute, though. I, I thought the answer to that was call AAA and get a clip on it. Well, you know, I've been on a lot of shows, and, you know, to be honest, I think that was probably one of the coolest <laughs> things I've heard in some time. So this Kylie Kipper, she's okay in my book. That Kylie, awesome. and by the way, you need to get him on the show. So yeah. I'm giving you that assignment now so we can do a more long-range interview with him. But. Yeah. How have you when you went through and looked at this? Um, what are people saying about this? Obviously, he has a lot of viewers, but are people just saying thanks and this is helpful? Or yeah, so a lot of people are actually tweeting about it when it first came out because he gained probably a million of his followers within the first month of this being released, and it's from people who also don't have fathers that had taught them or um, that they just resonate with his story, and so they're very thankful that but he has videos on anything, how to unclog your toilet, you know, like just things that everyone needs to know so i could have used him last night trying to hang up a new painting i got that was like dumb and dumber trying to get that done um, <laughs> mike what percentage of arizonans are from single parent households uh percentage wise oh, i'd have to have my census numbers in front of me i haven't <laughs> i look at a lot what's, of data what's, all the time. What's, what's your guess though a uh, single parent i can't even um i don't i, I can't i don't have it in front of me I can get you the answer. I'm quick. not sure, but if, if I remember right, the number's in the 30s. It's in the mid-high 30s. Yeah. I've Again, I haven't looked at it lately. It's, we do a lot of research. Um, look, there's, there, there's a lot of great single parents out there mm -hmm. doing a fantastic job. But that is that's just a brutal start to life, not having that dual combination, being involved and active. and. Um, well, I can relay because my mom, that's actually what brought me to Arizona. I actually would have been in Wisconsin. Typically, the trajectory is you have, uh, you know, get born, you have family, then you you go away in Wisconsin. But a uh, parent, the uh, reason my brother and I found ourselves out here is my, my mom brought us out here, but raised us through, she went through a divorce and basically uh, raised my brother and I by herself. And when you're younger, you don't really understand that. But now I'm a parent of twin boys, keeps me busy. And uh, But anyways, the, the appreciation I have, the sacrifice of how hard that is for uh, single parents. So again, a lot of respect for uh, they, those. They give it their all. They have no time for themselves. It's the 100%. ultimate sacrifice of time. So, Mike, you're a new father. You're old twins, correct? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Tommy and Teddy. <laughs> what has surprised you about fatherhood? Oh, it's it's one of the things that you're. It, it's it. Best way to sum it up is that it's brutally awesome. Brutal in a sense that your all your personal stuff. Because again, you're watch out for them. So for not only for providing, but spending uh, time with them. But it, it's interesting. Your world gets a lot smaller and stuff. But again, the moments where. You can get a little frustrated, but also then they throw a little smile, a giggle, and it just all washes away. And, and again, it's it's been a game changer, and I've been able to, uh, you know, I only work four days a week now. I spend Wednesdays there and just try to spend time. How has it changed you? Changed me? Uh, I am full-blown adulting now is probably the best way to describe <laughs> it. Is that Hashtag adulting. Correct. I, I think it, I feel I've gotten very boring in a sense like because, again, it goes to if I'm not working, again, if I have choices like doing a social hour, Again, I'd much rather hang out with my my wife and my kiddos and uh, and hanging out with them. And so again, it's it's it was interesting experience, but I, I absolutely wouldn't trade it for the world. That's fantastic. Um, what are what's a trend you see in Arizona that's occurring that people are not paying uh, attention to? Well, I think the trend is that there's a, this misconception that Arizona's turned blue, 
uh, or, or it's a purple state, right? Purple meaning that, you know, it's a toss up, et cetera. I would actually classify it as magenta, which is the mm-hmm. lightest shade of red, is that we're center right, is that very much this election was a referendum on Trump. And we see it in the elections because you look at the Maricopa County uh, elections, uh, but then also state Senate races that Trump very much underperformed down ballot Republicans. So they voted, the voters are still center right here. However, Trump ultimately pushed away those folks in the middle, but they delineated between that when they went to let's, vote. When we come back from our break, let's talk about some of the issues that shows Utah, I mean, not Utah again, I keep going to Utah, Arizona is, Go red, Utah. is red. Go Utah. Uh, <laughs> I am proud that Governor Spencer Cox in Utah is the one that told Biden, if you don't tell people to start getting their mask off, then why do we have tell them to get vaccinated? It, oh, doesn't, that, make, it doesn't make any sense. That was the, the biggest change in Biden's talking point that I've come to appreciate, that they're finally being honest about, okay, go get vaccinated, then take your darn mask off. Broken potholes coming right back. The political field is all about reputation, so don't let someone squash yours online. Secure your name and political future with a yourname.vote web address from godaddy.com. Your political career depends on it. Welcome back to Broken Potholes with your hosts, Sam Stone and Chuck Warren. Again, in the studio with us, and thank you very much for joining us today. Mike Noble, OH Predictive, got some very good points. And when we went to break, we were talking about how red or blue is Arizona? Magenta. We're magenta. Magenta. Correct. Let let it sink in, people. I've been saying light red to everybody, and and they kind of go berserk. They think we're light blue. They think we're leaning that way. And it's... Yeah, it's still not true. No, and so like you look at down ballot, like you look at uh, Kate Brophy McGee who ran in a district that was interesting because it's you know half affluent, half not. So it's a very much a sw- it's probably the most swing district of the legislative districts. There's really only five of the thirty are really competitive. The other ones are pretty red or blue. And so I was looking at that district, and for example, Trump the margin there. You see Trump lost that district by about twelve points, but he ran obviously more to the right. She ran definitely more moderate. She ended up losing that race, but only by half a percentage point. So, but there was a, about eleven point difference between the two. And I guess basically the takeaway is, for me at least, I've seen is that uh, you know Goldwater conservatism, conservatism at that level was very successful and gave Republicans dominance. However, moving more to the right or the fringes, you're kind of alienating those key folks in the middle, which independents always organically have been center right. They not only moved left, they've moved significantly left. And that is where I think is the uh, issue right now in the electorate. But overall, Arizona is still center right. It's just, uh, again, depending on where they well, position themselves. It's, it's interesting here in Magenta, Arizona. I talked to a Washington Post reporter, and he hmm. was asking if the state's truly going blue. And I said, no. I go, let me example. Is your poll on 60% still believe we should be doing the Pledge of Allegiance? That is not a blue state. <laughs> right. I mean, Correct. that's not. And then, right. and what are some other, besides the Pledge of Allegiance, what are some other survey questions, policies like that, that you show that just say, under underneath it all, this is a conservative right of center audience. It's not. Uh, when it comes to like, uh, let's say, uh, public uh, safety, when it comes to police officers, right? Let's say, you know, back the blue, for example, you have uh, a lot of talks of, uh, you know, again, the police, the uh, systemic issues, everything else. I mean, police went from, you know, uh, our guardians right up there with firefighters to now, again, being vilified. And to be honest, if you do a ride along with a cop, <laughs> that's your day in the job. 
we got our jobs that are a lot easier than those ones. And uh, again, they really risk a lot to be out there being protectors of the community. And so like issues like that were still very much rule law. But again, I think these narratives that get set up, you hear a lot about it. Ultimately, though, in the data, it's just not true. But again, it, you know, perception is reality. Well, you bring up a good point. Uh, for example, if most people did a ride along, we would see less anti law enforcement messages. Oh. I remember when I worked in D.C. In, mm-hmm. in a congressional office in the 90s. Yep. It was at that time the Sierra Club was pushing everybody to say, look, we just need to make all of the Intermountain West a state park, basically was their conversation, right? <laughs> and then they would go and show pictures of Lake Tahoe right. on their brochures. We all live out here. There's not Lake Tahoe in Arizona. And no. not to offend anybody in Flagstaff, but you're not Lake Tahoe, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and so what I started doing in this office, and it worked, we started flying Democrat and North, at that time there were Northeastern Republicans, um, out to the West. And they're just like, I mean, it changed their opinion of it. They, di- they didn't realize what was out here. And we know from work we do in Florida and so forth, they come out here and they're just like, I've never seen anything like this. Yeah, I mean, you take a Democrat who is open borders, open borders, open borders, you actually take them down to the border, you Mm. show them what goes on, all of a sudden they get more nuanced, right? Mm -hmm. And I would actually add something else, Mike, that doesn't necessarily get reflected in your polling, but I think reflects in the results. For Democrats to win down ballot, whether it was issues or candidates, in this last cycle, they outspent our candidates oh, yeah. massively to do it. Oh, so, not even close. Which has never historically been the case, right. which is also an interesting development. So Kate Brophy-McGee, for instance, had she been able to spend an equivalent amount of money to her opponent who outspent her, I think it was like three to one or four to one, especially including IEs, I think she would have won still, right? So mm-hmm. those gains that they've made down ballot here were basically made on a sea of cash coming in from the coast. Oh, look at just the the, the last Senate uh, Senate race in 18, the midterms. That was actually the first, like, it was record-spending race with $20 million spent by Cinema, $60 million by McSally. This recent Senate race, Kelly spent $90 million, and McSally spent $57 million. I mean, McSally got outspent, who's been a longtime congresswoman mm-hmm. here, from a, a basically a new entrant of Mark Kelly into the race. And again, so it's interesting, not only the money-wise, that Republicans used to always win that battle, but currently they have a bit of a, a spending advantage. Mike, what do we need to do? I think one one sector of our public policy that's ripe for change is public schools. Um, I, the unions and teachers did themselves no favors with law parents. Even before what I call the PTA moms, they're fairly disgusted with it. But this, what people don't understand, this does not mean they're going to flee their public schools. The National which, Education Association, American Federation of Teachers, have no idea what a bad 15 well, months they've the, just besides had. Besides the yeah. fact those organizations are just plain evil people. Um, the point <laughs> is here, Mike... What can Republicans do or what are policies they should promote to show Arizona moms, look, we care about your kids' education. We care about your public school. This is the craziest thing is that education, it's, it's, it's an issue that you got to address. And I do not know why. I can't, uh, why Republicans are afraid to face it because you should face it, but then do it in a conservative manner. Because here's the thing of the public, they want that change education, but also the problem is you can't just keep throwing money at it because it's not about the dollars spent. It's how effectively 
dollars are spent, right? And so I think from that approach, I think they could actually dominate and win on that issue. But for whatever reason, they don't want to touch it with a ten foot pole, well, and it just really surprises me. Well, we've got you're we, right. We well we we become so enamored of school choice, and I, I'm a big school choice proponent, and I think. You know, not one size fits all for everybody in education, but we have ignored it. We just said school choice or nothing. Well, we've also I mean, I think that's been the movement. But I I think there's another problem with that is that we're afraid to fight that battle on the ground that we need to fight it on. Because you look at school choice around the country, they do not get all the monies public schools get. They have fewer dollars per student. And they do a better job. And and even in places where they're doing lottery draws and things like that, where it's totally representative of the same population that public school has to take in, that charter is still doing better with less money. And we're afraid to take that on and say, why the heck can these public schools not compete when they have more cash? Well, I think it's really very much comes down to the value argument, because I think of parents in general, whether it's private or public, I think, frankly, at the end of the day, they're agnostic because they care what is the best for their kids, but also what is the most cost-effective way to go about it. I feel like that's something any parent can agree upon. And again, let the one win. If you public, great. Here are the numbers. Here's num- numbers here. Here's numbers there. Again, ultimately, which one's better for the kids? So instead of treating it like a political football, again, what's best for the kids? If we do that, I think we'll get to a better solution far quicker. And I'd love to see something uh, along those lines. But unfortunately, again, I just, I'm just surprised they don't really engage on that. What are some other issues out there that you see that show that Arizona is um, not blue, not Uh, purple? Well, uh, so last uh, cycle was very interesting is that think of the top issues in the state of kind of like the the top three issues as a three-legged stool. The top uh, two issues were education and healthcare, which you look at that very much benefit Democrats as those issues grow in prevalence, hence my suspicion because the COVID exacerbation. And uh, anyway, so when you look at uh, and then immigration actually wasn't even a top three issue because before the pandemic, it was actually uh, one third of Arizona voters. It was hands down the number one issue. COVID hit. Social issues took a backseat. Jobs and economy shot up because we shut down, shut down the economy. But since the elections ended. COVID, education have really dropped off. But right now, the issues of the environment's turning to be far better or more better for Republicans because immigration actually is the number one issue. I think it's about 34 percent now. Mm-hmm. So back to the high times we had prior. And that very much benefits uh, Republicans. So right now, uh, jobs and economy and immigration are the top two with health care, I think, and, uh, and third right near education. So basically, the environment shaping up for the midterms are looking much better. It's just the thing is, the question is, a party divided is not going to do as well. And so like with this audit going on and things of that nature, I think that is, you know, could have some residual effects. So it'd be interesting to see, you know, we're still 15 months out. Are you surprised how much guff Governor Ducey has taken? I, I I think he's done a fairly decent job. I think he has gotten some horribly bad rap on things. You and I have talked about it and I think the best way to describe Doug Ducey's tenure is blandly competent. I, and not not to that's not a knock. It's been we need more of it. Right. That's effective. I, I think it's uh, you know, tempered, strong, and, and again the moves and it's funny when watching that, I would <clears throat> probably agree with that assessment that I think he gets a bad rap for the items. I mean he's just stuck between a rock and a hard place. He's signing the election to certify it, which legally the, the constitutional oath he gave he had to do it. And I get Trump didn't like that result of the election. I get it. No one likes losing. I, I completely understand. However, he had to do his job, but he gets thrown under the bus, essentially, just for not 
towing the line. But again, if you're in that position, do you, you follow you, the law? He yeah. has legal counsel, yeah. the AG, you have to certify this. But the COVID thing, I mean, I just think COVID, he has gotten such a bad rap. And I, it's it's been amazing to me. And like mm-hmm. you said, he has temperate leadership. If Doug Ducey were in Idaho or Utah, he'd probably be about 82% approval. Mm-hmm. And, and not changing anything he's well, done. Well, I mean, well, yeah. part of the difference is that you had a, a senator who was terrified that the governor, who was pretty popular and seemed to be doing the right things, was going to jump up and run for that Senate seat mm-hmm. and politicized it to a fairly well and scared the heck out of it, a lot of Arizonans, Yeah, particularly I, a lot on the left. I think I think uh, Governor D.C., frankly, I think you know he was stuck in a rock and a hard place. He had uh, half population saying, hey, uh, close down, uh, no one go out, you know, very hesitant. The other one's yeah. like, hey. We got to make money. I have staff. They have family feeds, et cetera. And again, between the two, you move a little left, you make one mad, move a little right. But he had to make a decision as a leader. Right. I mean, no one knew what was going to happen when this first started. Right. I yeah. remember when it first started, sat down, made a decision. I want to make sure everybody who worked for me has a moment. So my house was paid off when I took a mortgage out on it just so we mm-hmm. had money. Yeah. And But you didn't know. I mean, right. we, yeah. were, we were at the point like, I'll probably just be sitting on the couch for a year. You know, um, I wasn't sure what was going to happen. As many weren't. And so I think sometimes, too, we expect these leaders who, you know, have no special skills in a lot of ways to be <laughs> omnipresent on everything and yeah. know what they're supposed to do. I, I mean, was it was it uh, I forget if it was Johns Hopkins or, or one of the others that did a IQ study on Congress and the mm-hmm. Senate about a decade ago. Mm-hmm. And no one has ever been given permission to do anything like that since because the average IQ in the Senate was like 98. Well, think about, but think about this is that, you know, again, no, no one's alive. A hundred year pandemic. I don't think anyone going into 2020 is like, oh, yeah, so I'm going to do X, Y, Z. And oh, yeah, a hundred year pandemic right about April. Perfect timing. And so, again, when going uh, getting hit with that, again, learning with that information, adapting again to be critical in a sense is just you got to give some slack because, again, until you're in that seat again and i think from an outsider's perspective i think he handled as well as he could comparatively to a lot of other states and i think us as arizonans are very grateful to have that uh you know steady pragmatic leadership i mean between all of all of the governors i i look at ron DeSantis as, as interestingly be, indifferent to the mer- the media narrative he stuck to the actual science and what the cdc guidelines were um that's not the narrative a lot of people have gotten about his actions I think he did the best job, but if you had to add everyone else up, Ducey's in the top three or four for navigating this, maintaining an economy, and and protecting people from the virus. I uh, 100% agree, and, and and that's the thing, just watching this, and that's why I think data is so prevalent. I think that's why starting this five years ago was a big thing because, again, there's a lot of opinions, but at the end of the day, unbiased data, which, again, can prove it time and time again, that, again, where the numbers are moving and why, and try to take that emotion or that self-interest out of it. And again, just look at the numbers and, and, again, call a spade a spade. And so, Folks, if they're not following, if you're not following Mike Noble and OH Predictive on mm-hmm. Twitter, on social media, how do they how do they follow you? Yeah, so mainly it's uh, social media for, like, press and things like that uh, uh, at ohpredictive.com or at ohpredictive, the Twitter handle. And then uh, we have LinkedIn page. But also I'd say check out the website, ohpredictive.com, because we actually put all the press releases we put out also we do a lot of blog posts like and again our thing is try to make data digestible for people and how can we explain that for again i think it's really great and but again how to educate folks and not make it scary but show them the value you do a great job at that and i really encourage people to go to your website ohpredictive.com at ohpredictive go there see the numbers read the data 
look at it for yourself. Skip the media spin. Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. And yeah. so we're trying to bring back sanity. So, but no, and I appreciate the opportunity. It's uh, Mike, always a privilege to be on the thank show. Thank you for joining us today. For your hosts, Sam Stone and Chuck Warren, Mike Noble, Kylie Kipper, the irrepressible Kylie Kipper, Broken Potholes. We'll be back next week. She has week. opinions. She has opinions. <laughs> You'll hear them one day. <laughs> thank you.